Welcome to Gimme Some Truth. I'm Kevin Castro, your podcast producer, and your hosts are Clint Walkner, Nate Condon, and Jonathan Jordan of Walkner Condon Financial Advisors in Madison, Wisconsin. This podcast series is dedicated to illuminating some of the darkness around conflicts of interest and motivations in the financial planning industry, as well as current events and investment concepts. Here are your hosts. Welcome back to Give Me Some Truth. We are here today with a guest from the mortgage industry. Uh, from our office, we have myself, Clint Walkner, and Mitch. So Clint, why don't you introduce our guest and uh, tell the listeners why he's here? Well, because Ryan is the best in the industry at doing mortgages, right? The best. And so... Well, we don't uh, we don't go for the B team here on Give Me Some Truth. That's so. true. That's true. We always bring you Content that is gold. You guys missed some, too, before we started recording here, but uh, probably not <laughs> safe for work, all of it. So we'll just say that uh, this is a s- slightly censored version of Give Me Some Truth. Right. We, uh, we, have the, uh, we have the craziness out of the way, so now it's time to talk about mortgages and, uh, and why it ma- matters to the people that are listening. Way to dial it down a notch. Yeah. Make it sound a lot less exciting. But, you know, anyway, we have Ryan Smith from Waterstone Mortgage here. He's been, uh, Ryan, how long have you been in the uh, mortgage industry? Uh, coming up on 19 years. So he's got a little bit wow, of experience. 19 years. He, hard he, to believe. For guys, he hardly has. Nine, that's impressive. Exactly. I I yeah, I started when I was 13. <laughs> and he's good at math, too. <laughs> <laughs> he's got very, very little gray hair, and he's been in the mortgage industry that long, so that's good. Mortgage industry's been good, good to him, and uh, there's been a lot of change over the years, though. Yes, there has. So... Um, overall, what would you say that uh, the biggest change has been since 2008? Since 2008, wow. Uh, regulation? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, back in the day, it used to be uh, a pay stub, and you give it, get a mortgage uh, to any level that you wanted to, and those weren't good times. They weren't good for anybody. So um, now we have a lot of regulation, so the mortgage industry went from having very little uh, to almost none to probably a little bit too much. Um, but it's good in a lot of ways because if you get a mortgage these days, you prove um, several different ways that you deserve it, um, which I think is great. I'm a big fan of it. Uh, having lived through the the downturn in not only personally but in the industry, um, you know that's never good. See people losing their homes and and getting into situations where they shouldn't have gotten into, and now that's just not possible. Um, anybody that gets a mortgage now is, has, and, and if you've been through a mortgage process recently, you know that it's, um, I, I like to call it a street fight at times, you know, it's a lot of information you have to convey and a lot of, uh, hoops you have to jump through to prove to an underwriter who is essentially acting as an auditor that you deserve and can afford that house. So I think that's the, the biggest misconception that people have because they take a look at mortgage loan officers and they see them quote a rate and go through an initial meeting and it really is the tip of the iceberg of what has to happen next once they sign the documents you know me being 
being a ter- I'm a terrible client sometimes and you know just going like well then it should be done right I mean it's no big deal I provided him all the documents that he asked me for he keeps asking me for all these documents what does he need it for what does Ryan need it for he doesn't need that document well yeah. I'm just not going to give it to him for three or four days until he asks me again for it right yeah you know it's funny uh, to to kind of convey the difference between 2008 and 2018 I guess we're in um in that time, I was part of a mortgage office that did about the same amount of production, between 35 and 50 loans a month. Um, and we had one support person, so one full-time person that processed our loans. And sitting here now, um, we have 13 full-time people doing the same amount of production. And when I started at Waterstone Mortgage in January of 2009, they had one part-time compliance officer. And now... You know, they have teams of attorneys and full staff of compliance people just to make sure that we're adhering to all the regulations and jumping through all the proper hoops. So it's it's changed a lot. And, and right now with being in the Dane County area, um, we all know that it's very hot. The real estate market's very hot. So how are you able to just handle that volume of business during that period of time when you just have so many loans going at once? Well, a couple years ago, I I built a team. So first and foremost, I surround myself with great people. Um, You know, to the days of being a loan officer and answering the phone and handling all the paperwork yourself and and giving a a good level of service are over, in my opinion. So I built a team of great people, and through those people, um, you know, we built a process to try to try to manage um, try to manage high volume, but also take really great care of people and not have our service levels drop off when we are busy, like like we are now sitting here in January, which is crazy. So Mitch, you recently bought a house, correct? I did. How did you, uh, first house, I should ask? This is my first house. All right. What did you think of the experience? It can be daunting at times, but I think actually to Clint's earlier point is you think that you supply all the information that's needed, but then you might need to double check something or they need more information or the latest statement of, of your accounts or whatever that might be. So it, it can be daunting at times, but I think working with the right team definitely goes the wrong way. And it's definitely a people business, as you mentioned. Yeah, you know, one of the things that, that uh, it's interesting hearing your perspective on that because um, one of the, the approach that we take is to try to front load everything in the process before, ideally before you even go look at homes um, and collect everything that we can think of that an underwriter would want. Now, certainly, once they get your file, they're going to ask questions. That's inevitable. That's their job. Um, But we try to take that stressful piece of, you know, give me this, give me that, and I need all this stuff from you, and put it on the front end before you've gone out and fallen in love with a home, and people have expectations of timelines. And so once you find that home, the process hopefully is smoother because I'm not starting my documentation process at that point. So um, you still have to ask a lot of questions, but um, you know, we find that, 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 that creates a little bit more of an enjoyable process of actually looking at homes. And then once you find the home, you're not digging through boxes, trying to find your 2015 W2, you know? Yes. And, And speaking of timelines, I'm a millennial. Then there's lots of millennials out there in the marketplace. Wait a minute. We hired a millennial? Oh, Wait no. a second. Wait. What did that happen? <laughs> I thought you were supposed to be in charge I, of I that. I have marketing flyers no, just for you. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> and, and there are a lot of millennials 
probably listen to this podcast, but there are definitely a lot of millennials that are out in the marketplace that are mm-hmm. starting to think about buying their first home. And speaking of timelines, when should they start to engage with someone like yourself? Well, I'm a big believer in um, as, as soon as you have the thought that you might want to buy a house. And even if you don't think you're going to do it for, um, honestly, in my opinion, years, um, you should do it and sit down with someone like myself. And I encourage people all the time, I don't care when you buy. If you become a client of ours, I'm going to need clients in three years and in five years. So if I need to stay in touch with you that entire time, I'm fine with that. So you're not wasting anybody's time by doing it. But what happens then is you're able to analyze where you're at from an income, a down payment, a credit and a standpoint and, and be told, you know, here's what you can and can't do right now. And if you don't like that, here's what you need to do to change that, whether it be start a new savings program, make more money, find a different job, realize you got to make more money, um, fix something on your credit, start credit. You know, there's a lot of things. So I really, really like when people come in and say, I don't know when I want to buy. Um, it might be a year. It might be now if I can do it. But um, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of that. And we, we, we enjoy that process because then we send you into the market as a really prepared person versus a lot of times we will make contact with clients after they've written their offer, which isn't the ideal way. But certainly, we're, you know, we're in business, so we're going we're gonna to do what we can to make it enjoyable. But we're kind of working from behind at that point. So, And what I know of most millennials is they want the information, right? They want to be informed and they want to be prepared. So um, I really enjoy that part of, of uh, you know, the younger people that are coming in is they want the information. I'm happy to give it out. And for those millennials that might look out to this spring or summer in 2018, is it too late for them to start that conversation? No, not at all. Right now is the time to talk about it. Um, you know, the market, we're sitting here January, uh, late January, I'm not sure the date, the 29th maybe? 29th. Yeah, and the market is, is busier than I've seen it in my 18, 19 years. Um, and a lot of the people I'm meeting with right now have leases that end in August. That seems to be a common thing that I'm hearing is my lease is up in August. The nice thing about meeting now is you can learn, well, what are your, what are your lease requirements? Can you get out of your lease? Can you sublease? If so, is there a penalty? Um, and if not, then you're prepared leading up to August, you know, um, and you can get a feel for the market between now and then. Um, and we try to keep things updated so you're prepared all year. And I do, um, you know, 30 and 60 day calls with people to make sure if, if we did put them on a track to fix something on their credit or save more money, that they're doing that. Um, but certainly, I, I don't think there's too soon of a time to sit down with somebody and put a plan together. Can you uh, contrast yourself a little bit with, you know, there's, there's some competitors out there, obviously, um, and some people just go to their local bank or credit union, and can you kind of contrast um, what you guys do for people and how going out to the market on, on multiple lenders might benefit their situation? Yeah, so, sure. What, Waterstone is a mortgage banking company, which essentially means um, we have the uh, financial stability of being owned by a community bank. Waterstone is a, is a wholly owned subsidiary of Waterstone Bank, which is a community bank in Milwaukee. But we operate as a separate entity, and um, we're able to shop your loan with um, national lenders and um, some local-type lenders um, and try to come up with the best program, the best rate, the best you know makeup of your mortgage possible. Um, I would say at, at the end of the day, 
a mortgage that you end up with from most banks, credit unions, or mortgage companies, it's the same product. It's the same thing. It's, it's, it's more about how you get the product, how you acquire the product, with some variance. You know, everybody has different rates and costs and fees. Um, but there are a lot of examples where some banks and credit unions don't do all the mortgages that are available. Um, what I mean by that is, um, well, going back to the conversation about 2008, in 2008, we had probably 300 loan programs, which is ridiculous. Um, and sitting here now, we have, you know, six, seven, eight, nine loan programs. Um, but even within that, and we do all of those at Waterstone, even within that, some of the local banks and credit unions, um, while they're all great institutions, they may only do two or three of them. So when you get offered a loan product from, from there, you're going to be getting offered what they offer, what their product is. When a client comes to us, we basically can take their situation and put it on a grid and see which one of these, let's call it seven or eight loans, do you qualify for, and then which one is the best one based on all the factors in your loan file. So I believe that if you work with us, you're going to end up with a loan that is, is right for your situation, not just because it's the product that I offer. So I would say product offering and process are the two biggest, biggest differences. But at the end of the day, you know, you're, you're buying essentially the same product. The mortgage is, is coming from the same places. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, I think that some of the other small loan iterations can be confusing for some people. So can you go through some of the more common, you know, you hear WIDA loans, you hear, mm -hmm. you know, uh, some FHA, FHA loans. Yep. So, I mean, just can you go through some of those? Absolutely. So in, in the mortgage world, you have several different types of loans, starting with a conventional mortgage, quote unquote. Um, a conventional mortgage comes from Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. They're the two, we call them the rule makers, right? The entities that, that write the rule books for a conventional mortgage. Outside of that, you have government loan programs, which are FHA loans, VA loans, USDA rural development loans. And then you have, um, at the state level, we have a conventional mortgage uh, bond program called WIDA, which is specific to the state of Wisconsin. Um, and then outside of that, you're going to have what's called portfolio loan products, which is where a bank or credit union or mortgage company will write their own rules and, and make up their own guidelines. <clears throat> and um, they'll write a loan that doesn't meet any one of the other products guidelines for one reason or another, whether it be, you know, they're very heavy in assets, but not in income or vice versa, or, um, you know, a unique property. There's a lot of different reasons you'd end up in a portfolio loan, but basically that's the landscape of the mortgage industry. So can you talk a little bit uh, about um, kind of geography now that we have it in, in, uh, in the mortgage world today? So, if some of our clients that are listening right now are thinking about buying a house, a second residence in the Northwoods, for example, mm -hmm. they don't have to find a lender up there, right? I, I think people kind of have a misconception in some cases that they have to, um, if I want to buy a property in the area that I want to buy it in, I got to find a lender in that area. Can you kind of speak to uh, why that's not true anymore? Well, basically the, the internet, you know, I mean, um, there really isn't any relevancy to a mortgage being from someone in your area. Um, the only, uh, I'll talk out of both sides of my mouth a little bit there, is, is having a relationship with the person you've worked with and ha having access to that person is very important. So um, as far as, you know, for instance, we lend in, I think we're, we're up to 44 states right now. 
So where would I lend in another state or another city if somebody from Madison is moving to the Northwoods, Wisconsin, or um, Florida? That's a common example. People move to Florida all the time. It's really nice because I can sit down with them, create relationship before they go to a city they don't know anybody in, first of all. Um, and, and then they go into that marketplace. They're already pre-approved. They've already met with me, and they know where they're getting their mortgage. Um, if I'm not able to meet with them and they're just in the Northwoods or they're in another state, um, certainly, you know, we do conference calls and inter, you know, email and all the same things you would do if you were in Madison and you couldn't come into the office, you know. Um, but no, it isn't a it isn't a regional thing by any means. The guidelines and the products and everything um, are, are the same, and, and specifically in markets where we lend in, so the whole state of Wisconsin and all these other states, you do want to work with somebody who understands the local market. Um, and Waterstone being so spread out throughout the country, that's really valuable. The example I would give you is if you know if a company from. Uh, Racine, Milwaukee, Kenosha, something like that, comes into Madison Market and sends an appraiser up here that, that they don't normally do business in Madison, and they're doing a property in Nakoma here, and they don't understand Nakoma and don't know anything about it, it's going to be more challenging than an appraiser from Madison that, that knows everything about Nakoma and knows the value that it brings and, and all the factors that go along with that. So that is important. So. Um, you know, having local knowledge, even though you're not in the market, I guess would be super valuable if that makes sense. Sure. So switching gears just a little bit with the um, recent passage of the legislation on uh, tax changes. Um, obviously, it's days old at this point. So any immediate reaction from your world in terms of the, the tax law that's changed or, or things that people should know about when they're, uh, when they're going for a mortgage in 2018? You know, I'm still learning myself um, and, and trying to, you know, figure out what is important to me uh, to know and, and um, haven't had a ton of, of feedback yet. You know, like you said, it's been weeks, close to a month, I think. Um, haven't had a lot of blowback on it, um, but certainly th there are a lot of questions about it. Um, you know, the, the, the biggest question that I'm getting is people who have home equity lines of credit. And whereas you, you were able to deduct that interest in all cases prior, um, now there are some cases where you can't. So people are looking at, you know, do I, do I pay that off? Do I consolidate that? What's the best course of action there? But the other provision about not being able to write off mortgage interest to over seven, 750000 our market's pretty limited in that way. You know, that doesn't impact um, as many people as it does in the sand states and the coastal areas. Um, so for my, my book of business, that's largely been a non-issue. Yeah, overall, can you speak a little bit towards um, some of the challenges that you have around jumbo loans and getting mortgages done? Sure. Uh, just kind of, um, I know that... Well, first of all, what, what is it? Oh, yeah. What is a jumbo loan and, and yeah. uh, you know, why would somebody have to get one and how they have to be somewhat creative in, in getting that done? Yeah, I actually didn't mention that when you asked about loan products. So a, a loan uh, in the state of Wisconsin, uh, the, the conventional loan limit... Hope I don't butcher this. It just changed recently. I think it's 424.1 now. It used to be 417. I believe that's the number. But if your loan is over 424.1, you do not qualify for a quote unquote conventional mortgage. So your loan product then becomes a jumbo loan. And a jumbo loan is a non conventional mortgage, which essentially means it's not a Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac loan. Um, in a lot of ways, they're the same. You know, they're, they're very similar. 
in some ways they're not. And um, basically that people a lot of times will say, well, why is that? You know, I can afford a $600,000 house. Logic would tell you that, that my mortgage should actually be better or, you know, um, easier to get. And it's as simple as the more money you're borrowing, the more uh, difficult it can be to get. Um, we don't do a ton of jumbo loans. They're certainly out there, and we facilitate them. I would say that the, the biggest challenges are just meeting the guidelines that they have, and they're, they're not the same as what you're used to. So, for example, um, some jumbo guidelines, you have to have more reserves, more cash in the bank. So they want to see that if you lose your job, you can make that jumbo loan payment for six months, nine months, 12 months, and a lot of that's dictated by how much down payment you have. And that's the other topic is jumbo loans have different down payment requirements. Um, they have different private mortgage insurance requirements. Um, so just in general, they can be, um, in some cases, they're no problem. But, it, but on the average, I'd say they, they can be a little bit trickier to, to facilitate. And I think the, the rates, I think it's safe to say the rates are commonly at least slightly higher, correct? Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that, that's the thing that kind of trips people up a little bit. Is you, they're usually a little bit higher. In a lot of markets, um, you could be taking out arm rates, adjustable rate mortgages versus fixed rates, although fixed rates are available. Uh, arm rates are very common with jumbo loans. And I think that that's another thing that we see a lot with clients. And um, you know, a few years ago when I was at my old house, um, when, the mar when the rates were pretty good, I took out a seven-year arm because I knew that it was not going to be a situation where I was going to be in the home longer than five or six years. And I think some people get a little concerned or freaked out about using arm loans as part of their uh, mortgage process. And I think in some cases, uh, they can make a ton of sense if there's a spread between the rates, which in my case, there was. Mm -hmm. You know, Sometimes there isn't, sometimes there isn't. But yeah. oftentimes, I think in a normal market, you see more of a spread in an arm than you do you know, in between the arm and the 30 year fixed. Yeah. And that, that hasn't been the case for probably over seven years. You know, a lot, a lot of people that I did arm rights for, um, 10 years ago are still in them, uh, five and seven year arms because they haven't gone up or they've gone up very minimally. So, um, for those of you who are listening and, and don't know what an arm is, which I, I uh, sometimes take for granted, people do understand how it works. If you have a five-year arm or a seven-year arm or a ten-year arm, the rate is fixed for that period of time. And then after that, it can go through an adjustment period. So if you have a seven-year arm and it's 1% better than your fixed rate, at, at the seven-year mark, it will go through an adjustment period where it will be analyzed based on the market conditions and based on a couple other technical factors. Should the rate go up? And, um, you know, the last five years, rates haven't really gone up. So uh, people have just rode those arm rates out and turned a seven-year arm into a 10-year loan um, and not they haven't gotten into danger. Um, the last probably five, seven, ten years, the, the difference between a fixed rate and an arm rate has not been as significant as it was prior to that. And so for that reason, if you're evaluating a $300,000 loan and the seven-year arm is, um, you know, 375, let's say, and a fixed rate, 30-year fixed is 4 or 4.1, you need to evaluate is the difference in that payment, which I'm going to throw out a hypothetical number, let's say it's $35 a month or something along those lines, is that worth savings for five to seven years, knowing that I may take on the risk 
of my rate going up at the seven-year mark, and then where will fixed rates be at that time? So that's the conversation that we have with people, just kind of evaluating that. Some people say, hey, I'm not going to be in my house for seven years. No chance. I'm leaving in five. We're going to do this, that, and the other thing. And in that case, taking a quarter percent or three-eighths or something like that um, makes perfect sense. Yeah, and I think Nate's the best example of this since he still actually has an adjustable rate mortgage. Do you not? Started with a three-year arm. Yeah, started with three-year arm. Yeah, you are a great example of that. Uh, is it 10 years ago now? Um, so I've gone through seven adjustment periods. And you think about all the people that are like, no, no, dude, a, a three-year arm, that freaks me out. And you just right. let it float, and it's been like the best thing for you because you haven't had to go through that whole refinance. Well, it floated down. Else. That's what I mean. So yeah, it, it, yeah. It, it adjusted down in, in rate, and then, and then finally kind of plateaued, or I guess troughed, if you will, and then now is is, uh, you know, is, is, uh, adjusting up. So yeah, I mean, in the end for me, it was, it was a really smart decision and that's, we're not advocating everybody run out and do that, but at the <laughs> same time, you know, for people yeah. that can, can make sense. And I think what we're trying to get at there is, you know, don't, don't go into the process, uh, having your mind made up before you even meet with somebody in terms of what's best for you and what you're going to take. Let the, 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 uh, mortgage loan officer that you're working with guide you. And if they're not really guiding you and more of selling you a product or more of kind of just dumping you into a 30 year fix, then you probably should look at a different loan officer because this is a, it's an advisory period that they need to take you through not just a, um, Hey, everybody gets a 30 year fix. You're going to get a 30 year fixed. Well, yeah. And we work through a couple of different scenarios too. We work through this all the time where somebody says, I'm considering a 15-year and a 30-year, and these are the two payments. And we talk through what's the best in their situation. So oftentimes we'll take back, um, you know, they'll have a consultation with Ryan or another mortgage loan officer. They'll come back with some ideas. We'll help them out with some ideas as well. Um, you know, some people, they want that flexibility. So they say, I really want to get it paid off in 15 years, but we still recommend going on a 30-year ch chassis because maybe they – you know, have some job uncertainty going on and they want the ability to step down to that lower 30-year fixed payment. You can always run an amortization calculator and figure out how long is that going to take to pay it off over 15 years. You know, as long as you don't have any prepayment penalties or anything like that, you can definitely accelerate those mortgage payments. So there's a lot of different strategy that you can use inside of there. Um, and, you know, it's over a 30-year period, it's a lot of interest you pay. So, you know, it is a situation of even at today's lower rates, you know, and figuring out the best way for your situation, I think people need to be a little bit more creative in how they do this. You know, that's a great point. As, as part of my job, I feel like, is, is reading people's uh, personalities. And, you know, a 15-year mortgage is, is, is right for some people, but it's not right for everybody, even if you can afford it. Um, and so to your point, um, I love consulting with you guys on that because a lot of times people, especially people who are well-financed and um, usually in, in starting to think about retirement or at least looking down the road at that, in their mind come in and say, you know, I'm interested in a 15-year mortgage. I want to get this thing paid off. And we try to evaluate where, where are they truly at with their debt structure? How, are they investing properly? Um, is that the best use of the money? I know we've consulted on some people and, and kind of co-advised people because, um, you know, I, I try to evaluate um, where are they at in life? Do they have children that might be going to, to going into an expensive period of life? Um, you know, how, what's the age of their cars? Are they, are they planning on paying for college? There are a lot of factors to be considering um, versus, you know, a 15-year saves you this amount of money because it does save you a lot of money if you take it out. But w what cost is that in the other areas of your life? I think that's, that's a great point. We see a lot of people come in and, and like a 30-year 
mortgage refinance, right? And they've got 23 years left on their 30-year mortgage. I mean, this is great. The, the rate's going to go down a half percent. And look at how much money it saves me. And, and we kind of take them a step back and go, well, yeah, it saves you a lot of money because the rate went down. But more so, it saves you a lot of money because you took your 23-year mortgage and you stretched it back out to 30 right. years. So they kind of looked at it and said, well, I said, well, this is great. I saved this money. You're like, yeah, but you you basically extended your mortgage seven more years than what you had before. That's why it saved you money. And so I think in some cases when we're just talking about rates and payments, uh, we're, we're kind of missing the boat. Yeah, my... My general feeling on a 15-year or any shorter term, first of all, is what, what phase of life are you in? How long have you been in the home? What do you have that might happen in your life? So I ask a lot of questions. You know, how old are your cars? You know, do, you, do you plan on having a family? If so, what do you think that looks like? By the end of those conversations, they usually are convinced that maybe a 30-year vehicle with the thought you can pay overpay as much as you'd like is really a smart option. Um, that doesn't mean that after an evaluation, a 15 year doesn't make great sense. Um, I'm personally in a 15 year and, um, but I didn't for my first three mortgages, you know, and I, I, uh, felt like I got to a point in my life where that was a smart decision. Um, I like to, st- I always ask people if, if, if you do a 15 year, is that going to tighten your budget to the point where you might not be able to invest the appropriate amount of money? Is it going to interrupt the things you're doing with Nate and Clint, basically? I mean, that's a common question I ask people. And if it's not, well, maybe it's, maybe it's a good thing to, to you know, look at. And you guys can evaluate rates of return and things like that. But, um, yeah, it's not right for everybody. But some people, it fits well. All right. Well, wrapping up, we, we want to give uh, one last question toward somebody's going to come in and see you. What should they bring in? What should they uh, be thinking well before they come in, kind of what's the, uh, what's the mindset that you want somebody to come in with before they come in, whether it be to refinance or to buy a house? Great question. Thanks for asking. Um, you know, it's real simple. Um, we're, we're a high contact uh, company. We um, want to talk with you. And um, what I would urge people to do is to call us at 608-234-5117. Otherwise, you can visit us at madisonmortgagesmith.com. And the expectation is just a general question and answer session to find out where you're at and what you're looking to do. And uh, we start collecting some information from you generally over the phone. can apply on our website, um, and that's fine too. We usually follow it up with a phone call to make sure we're getting all the details if, if you go that route. And then once we get the basic information, we'll give you a checklist and a secure way to, to provide us with the information. And the list can be long, but basically it's it's pay stubs, W-2s, bank statements, um, for all your financial information, asset statements. Blood type, favorite color. Yeah, exactly. Firstborn child. <laughs> exactly. We joke, might, they might just want to give you their firstborn children <laughs> if, if they're... <laughs> we joke about that stuff sometimes, and, and uh, you know, it's a lot of stuff. But if you look at it this way, once you do it, it's over with. And when I send you out into the market and say that you're ready to buy such and such a product, you know, you, you, you're you're in great shape. So... Um, I like to get a pre-approval to the point where whether you use this now or like we were talking earlier in two years, you know exactly what you're going to do. There's no question marks. And I think that's important. I always, I always tell my clients, I want to provide clarity, if anything, to them. Leave my office and hopefully you know exactly what you can do. And it takes that like feeling that people have not knowing, can we do this? Can we not do this? Um, and they usually leave with a game plan of exactly where they fit in and when they should do it. I think that one of the things that people don't appreciate because you go through it so infrequently is the whole process around buying and maybe even for yourself selling 
a house too is so emotional and it involves so many different people doing things all at the same time. Uh, and then you got to do your job, you know, and then you're trying to work about, uh, you know, how are you going to furnish the new house and you got to work on leases or you got to work on getting your house ready for sale. It's so incredibly emotional that having a good professional in your life that you can count on that's reliable is so important. And that's, you know, I just want to wrap this up by thanking Ryan for coming by and seeing us. I do think that he's one of the best in the industry. Um, he is a very reliable professional that we have. And so there are certain people in your life that you just, when you, when you send them a client, you know that, it, that they're taken care of. And with Ryan, um, you know, that's certainly been the case. So, um, you know, we appreciate our partnership with him uh, over the years. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. And uh, please feel free to give us some feedback. And we're looking forward to more episodes of Give Me Some Truth. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Advisory services are offered through Wachner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor in the states of Wisconsin and Texas. Clint Wachner and Nate Condon are investment advisor representatives of Wachner Condon. Kevin Castro is an office manager and marketing communications specialist for Wachner Condon Financial Advisors. He is not registered, and his participation in this podcast is limited to unregistered activities and will not be providing any advice that is investment-related, nor should any comments he makes be construed as giving investment advice. Insurance products and services are offered through WC Insurance Services, LLC, Wachner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, and WC Insurance Services, LLC, are affiliated companies. Content should not be viewed as an offer to buy or sell any of the securities mentioned or as legal or tax advice. You should always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. Wachner Condon Financial Advisors LLC is not engaged in the practice of law. Whenever you invest, you are at risk of loss of principal as the market does fluctuate. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Purchases are subject to suitability. This requires a review of an investor's objective, risk tolerance, and time horizons. Investing always involves risk and possible loss of capital. Long-term care, estate planning, insurance products, and tax advice are not offered through Wachner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC. Wachner Condon works on a best efforts basis and does not promise or guarantee any results. Past performance does not represent future results. Please see wachnercondon.com for additional disclosures.